When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey man, we've got another Super Bowl champion. Again, it is the Kansas City Chiefs and we gotta face it. There's something the Cowboys can learn from them after winning Super Bowl 58. So let's talk about it. Here we go. What is up, everyone, and welcome into ADZ Sports Dallas Primetime. I am your host, Mauricio Rodriguez, streaming with you live every Sunday through Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central here on Dallas On Demand Sports Talk Network. With a lot more content coming your way, make sure that you check out adzsports.com slash Dallas. And as always, do me a favor and hit the like button for me if you enjoy the show. What is up, everyone? Hope that you guys had a fantastic Super Bowl Sunday. We saw each other before the game kicked off. And I think the preview went pretty well. I'm not going to lie. I think there's a lot of things that I liked about the preview that ended up showing up in the game. We talked about this guy's coverage. Maybe the the 49ers having to turn that on a little bit. They did a whole lot of that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' interception actually came on a disguised coverage. They were showing too high. And then they... Switched to cover one robber right at the snap. We talked a little bit about the cornerback blitzes. Biggest moment of the game. Steve Spagnuolo got the best of Brock Purdy by sending Trent McDuffie by that B-gap. Uh, so, yeah, a lot a lot of things that showed up from that preview. So, I'm excited about that. It was a fun game. We saw overtime. And we'll talk about the Super Bowl today. We will absolutely do that. And we'll dive into the lessons that the Cowboys might be able to learn from such a game, right? Now, there's some lessons that cannot be learned, including the fact that Patrick Mahomes makes it easy for you to win championships because, man, he, he really is great. I am aware that it wasn't the best game for him, necessarily speaking, but when it mattered the most, he put together some pretty impressive drives. So, honestly, man, I'm excited to talk just some football with you, try to relate the Super Bowl to the Cowboys as best we can, and we're going to talk about Mike Simmer just a little bit before we start, though, because Mike Simmer had an interesting weekend in store for us, and the Cowboys did, because on Thursday of last week, we first heard Tom Pelissero, Todd Archer, Adam Schefter report that, hey, the Mike Simmer deal is getting done, right? Uh, we were all on that trajectory towards thinking that, hey, it's going to be Simmer, a defensive coordinator for Dallas. And then the time went by, and we didn't see that Cowboys social media official post, right? We didn't see any of that. And suddenly, Rex Ryan is saying on ESPN Live, NFL Live, before the Super Bowl, that the deal is not done and that he's not so sure that Mike Simmer is hired as a Cowboys defensive coordinator. We talked a little bit about it yesterday. And my theory, and I shared this with you, was that, hey, this is just Rex Ryan maybe being in denial, right? Because we've heard for several days now that it's Simmer 
And before it was even reported on, whispers were allowed about it being simmer, right? So I was a little bit, uh, you know, skeptical about Rex's comments. But I will say that I was intrigued by the fact that Brian Broaddus then dropped some knowledge on Twitter X. And that knowledge was a little bit buried by all of the Super Bowl hype. And he pointed out, and then Adam Schefter basically confirmed it on Monday morning as well. He, you know, they were pointing out that there was an actual holdup. Now, I'm not sure what that holdup was at all, but there seemed to be a contractual holdup, according to Brian Broaddus. And we know he's well connected, he knows what he's talking about. And man, you know. This is one of those instances where you're like, maybe something was afoot. Maybe Mike Zimmer was asking for a buttload of money. Or maybe the Cowboys were lowballing the guy. Now, based on the history of this franchise, I would never assume that the Cowboys were lowballing somebody. Wink, wink, right? Uh, so maybe that was what was going on. Now, if it was, like, damn it, if we're in all-in season... Why are we lowballing the your pick of defensive coordinator? But hey, it's just speculation on my end. I really don't know if that's what was going on. And then Adam Schefter puts out a story on ESPN talking about the uncertainty around the Mike Zimmer deal throughout the weekend. And then Dallas Morning News shoots back with a David Moore report, which was, hey, hey, nothing was uncertain. We were just taking our time. Jerry Jones was making Super Bowl 58. He was making the NFL honors. Basically, Jerry was busy. And in a time-sensitive NFL with the NFL scouting combined two weeks away from us and free agency a month away from us, they just figured, hey, he, he can take five more days and it doesn't matter. Like, come on, right? That's just, that's just hey, it's me speculating. I'm just having fun here. But I'm not that excited about an all-in season where the Mike Zimmer deal does not get, like, you know, there's not a hiccup in there. Because we, we've heard, we heard for, for at least Brian Broaddus pointing out that, hey, you know, there's actually an issue here, and they hit a spit bump type of thing, right? So what we do know, what we do know for a, not, not maybe not for a fact, but for a 99% fact, it wasn't because Jerry Jones was out there in, in Las Vegas watching the Super Bowl. It's maybe not great, not a great look for the Cowboys, but you know how they like to negotiate. They are interested in winning deals. That is what they do. Uh, wins are not Lombardi trophies, but man, if they were, if they were, not even Patrick Mahomes could compete with this franchise. Let's see what some of you have to say, though. Let me say hi very quickly. We've got Mr. Toxic Tom, who finally is back in the primetime chat. Shout out to you, sir. Thank you for joining the show, man. Uh, haven't been able to catch your show, but Carvin MF Barnes is toxic. <laughs> Tom Downey Burner account here. Hey, man, he's he has some fans, of course. Uh, shout out to Toxic. Thank you for joining the show. He says, lol, all in season, but I'm too busy. That is our leader. And it probably wasn't the fact that he was uh, busy. It probably was all about uh, negotiating, right? Uh, Lisa says, let's go Simmer. That is right, Lisa. Uh, it is official now, so we can be excited about Mike Simmer as much as we want. You know that I am. 
excited about it. I've talked about this on the show before, and I even went through the five reasons why I'm excited for him. And one of them is the fact that he's going to be willing to be aggressive. And even if that if that doesn't manifest itself like it did with Dan Quinn around, it is still going to show up. The Cowboys are going to blitz a lot with Mike Zimmer. Uh, not in the sense that they're going to be like Brian Flores leading the NFL in blitz rates like he did with the Minnesota Vikings this year, but more in the sense that they're just going to be willing to do it and run a lot of simulated pressures and do the double-A gap stuff that we've talked about here on the show too. And of course, yeah, he's going to be willing to do something that maybe Dan Quinn wasn't too willing to do, and that is this guy's coverages. You know, show two high shells when you're actually going to run a one high defense or the other way around, right? Have your safety lined up at the line of scrimmage only for him to run 20 yards downfield to play deep half zone. Uh, that kind of stuff is what we're going to see with Mike Zimmer, and it's going to be exciting. That's what I'm going to say about that. Now, speaking of that, speaking of that, how about Steve Spagnuolo? Slowing down the 49ers offense. Now, when I say slowing down, I do say it with a caveat. You know, we're talking about Brock Purdy having pretty efficient numbers in this game. We're talking about the Niners having some, you know, solid yardage as well. At the end of the day, these teams both averaged, like San Francisco averaged 5.4 yards per play. Kansas City averaged 5.8. They had... 382 yards, the Niners did, and the Chiefs had 455. Now, this did happen over five quarters of football and 150 total offensive plays between the two teams combined. So that's probably part of what explains such a high yardage. But, you know, speaking of Steve Spagnuolo and speaking of the Cowboys having a new defensive coordinator, I do think there are multiple lessons to be learned from Super Bowl 58. But the big one, to me, is Spag's game plan. This is the one where I got to be like, hey, the Cowboys better learn this. Now, things change. Matchups are different. And I don't believe this is a this is a situation where Steve Spagnuolo put out a blueprint on how to beat the 49ers. But he sure gave us some food for thought. Because the Chiefs approached the Niners offense like, Nobody else had this year in the NFL. There are there, there is maybe one exception about a team that did handle them differently and actually were pretty efficient in that too. But let me give you some numbers here and shout out to Bob Sturm for sharing this table actually on Twitter X. Bob Sturm, you know how I feel about him. I don't believe there's a lot of columnists uh, in sports like, you know, the word colorist, what it should mean. Uh, Bob Sturm is, is one of the few. I really admire him. He's been on primetime too. Uh, maybe we should get him back here for the offseason for another show. Uh, you should subscribe to his Substack though. But anyways, according to that table that Bob Sturm put out there on the internet world, I believe it's data from True Media, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Steve Spagnuolo, and this is regular season and postseason included, Played the Niners, used cover zero at a at the highest rate that the Niners had faced. Cover zero, man coverage, no safeties up top, and everyone goes get the quarterback. So it's an all-out blitz, what we're talking about there. He ran cover zero in 20 per in 
of the place in Super Bowl 58. Uh, the next high team to, to run cover zero was 17%, and then no one else ran cover zero at above 10% this season for versus the San Francisco 49ers specifically. So that's for cover zero. Now, cover one, third highest rate in the NFL. So you're playing them 21% of the time. You're using cover zero. You're sending everyone at Brock Purdy with no safety help. And then 40% of the snaps, you're also going out there with the third highest coverage rate. You know, like no one but two teams had played the Niners with cover one at a higher rate. Uh, that makes for a 64% man coverage rate on the Super Bowl. And that is the second highest man coverage rate that they had faced all season for the Niners. The only exception, the only team that played man coverage at a higher rate versus the Niners than Kansas City was the Cleveland Browns, who played 71%. The only other team, so we were with three teams that played man coverage at an above 50% rate this season versus the Niners. The only team to do over 50% other than Kansas and other than Cleveland was the New York Giants. Now that's because Wink Martindale loves to do that. Like he's going to play man coverage. It doesn't matter who he's facing. It doesn't matter uh, what the situation is. Wink Martindale is probably blitzing you and he's probably running uh, some sort of man coverage. My point here is Steve Spagnuolo got to Super Bowl 58 and he said, oh yeah, I'm not going to respect Mr. Brock Purdy here. I'm not going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to go after him. And I'm not only going to blitz him, and I'm not only going to play man coverage against this super talented group of playmakers, but I'm going to do it in the biggest moments of the game. Fourth quarter, man, third down. And say that the the... 49ers move the chains. I really think the game is over there. But Trent McDuffie blitzes through the B-gap between the guard and the tackle in perhaps the biggest moment of the game for the 49ers because they could have won it right then and there and avoid overtime altogether before they score the the 53-yard field goal to make it 16 to 16, 19 to 16, excuse me. They move the chains there. And Kansas City does not get the ball with two minutes to go. They probably get it with 30 seconds, something like that. But it's third down. And Steve Spagnuolo, biggest moment of the game, third down, stays aggressive. Sends Trent McDuffie, who is in the slot, ready to guard, I believe it's uh, 11. I believe it's it's uh, a uke in that play. He blitzes McD- uh, you know, Purdy. He's vacated. Uh, a uke is. And the safety takes him on. And he basically is open, but McDuffie is right in Purdy's face. And he doesn't react properly. I'm not knocking Brock Purdy. It's a very tough play to make. Maybe Tom Brady makes it. Maybe Patrick Mahomes makes it. You know, this maybe Dak Prescott makes it. Because he's specifically good against the Blitz, right? Uh, but anyways, my point here is Steve Spagnuolo did not come here scared to coach in Super Bowl. Now, it isn't as it isn't quite as simple as, you know, play man coverage and blitz the Niners and you're going to win. You got to have the talent. You got to have a Trent McDuffie who played 
phenomenal football on Sunday, I would have made the argument, hey, he could win Super Bowl MVP because he was targeted seven times and he allowed two catches, had a pass breakup in the end zone, had that blitz that I'm talking about. He did have an unfortunate holding call in overtime that avoided a three and out from happening from San Francisco, but Trent McDuffie was lights out. But my point here, as we related to the Cowboys very quickly, you've got the quarterbacks to go ahead and do that. If you bring back Gilmore, and you probably could also bring back Jordan Lewis if you're truly going all in, right? If we're working under that assumption, they're really going to go all in. And I'm not saying I, I strongly believe that. I'm not, I'm not saying I believe it because I don't believe the all-in discourse that is being thrown around. I won't believe it until I see it. And one of the ways that they could show us that is apart from investing in free agents and apart from maybe pulling off a trade or two to upgrade certain positions, I would like them to see, I would like to see them bring back Gilmore and Jordan Lewis potentially. And that way you still have Trevon Diggs coming back from injury. You have Dayron Land, you have uh, Gilmore and Lewis, and you can play man coverage. You've struggled to beat the Chanahan offense. And I don't know if it will work against uh, Jordan Love Corivac team. I don't, I'm not sure it will work against the Matthew Stafford Corivac team, but you could, I think you have the pieces to go ahead and run the same game plan that the Chiefs did against the Niners. The one difference is the inside linebackers. I'll say that, right? But if they're going to spend in free agency, that is a position they should probably spend in. Maybe bring in somebody like Patrick Quinn. But Nick Bolton had a great game, and so did Leo Chanel. And, and you know, Leo Chanel, I think, was one of the most underrated Chiefs players this postseason and was somebody to watch on this game. Very versatile guy who can do a little bit of everything. He had a QB hit. He had tackle for loss. Um, so good football there from Leo Chanel. But, man, you're strong at cornerback. And I'll also add this. We've talked about it a, a little bit here on the show. I'm going to maybe do a standalone show on this topic. But the most underrated need on the Cowboys is probably cornerback, especially if you, if you only bring back one of Gilmore and or Lewis. If you only bring back one of those two, then cornerback is absolutely a need for your football team. Because in this league, you better have those corners, man. Because if you don't have those corners, this approach that we saw from Kansas in the Super Bowl is not going to work against nobody. Because you got to be able to hold on on man coverage. And, and the Chiefs did, man. It was pretty uh, a very impressive game. If I had to point towards one lesson from this Super Bowl is that you've got the corners to use this sort of game plan versus a Chanahan-esque offense, at least the 49ers. If, if, if the argument is that Brock Purdy specifically cannot kill your blitzes, uh, but you also got to be timely with them, and the Cowboys do need to upgrade their linebacker position 100%. Uh, now, Mike Simmer is coming in, and I am aware that Dan Quinn was probably more blitz happy than, than Mike Simmer. But let me show you something. I'm more than show you. Let me tell you something. I have a, a spreadsheet here with Mike Simmer's Vikings defenses between 2018 and 2021. And I would go farther back, but I don't have all of the data that I need to do it. Between those four years, 2018 to 2021, 
Mike Zimmer's best defense with the Vikings was in 2018. He was second in EPA per play. His defense was. Uh, success rate, he was fifth. Drop back, he was third. EPA per play, success rate, sixth. Rush EPA per play, fifth. And rush success rate, 14. So, you know, uh, a little bit more average in that area. But that was by far his best defense with the Vikings in those four years. If you look at how he got there, you're going to see that out of those four years, that is the year where he played the most man coverage, 10th highest rate in the league, according to Sports Info Solution. It was also the year that he blitzed the most, ranking 11th in the NFL per Sports Info Solutions. And he played Bofo, middle of the field, open the ninth, at the ninth highest rate in the NFL. So that means you know, cover two quarters, all that, which is the biggest difference that we might see, in my opinion, between his defenses and Quinn's. Uh, Quinn was more of a middle-of-the-field closed type of guy, which means cover one, cover three, and all that. Uh, so, you know, that is what the Chiefs do, too. They play those sorts of coverages. So I'm just saying, man, we saw those numbers early on when Mike Zimmer's name was tossed around ahead of the Cowboys defensive coordinator hire, where we were seeing that Zimmer was actually above average versus Chenahan-esque offenses. And you look at the personnel, and you look at the style of Mike Zimmer, and you look at the results from Steve Spagnuolo on the Super Sunday, and it sure seems like it could fit. It sure seems like, hey, the Cowboys might be cooking something there if they if Mike Zimmer plays his cards right. Uh, entering 2024. So we'll see how that all works out. Uh, obviously, I'm not trying to sell you a pipe dream where I'm telling you, you know, Mike Seymour might be the difference maker and he might get the Cowboys to the Super Bowl. But again, tying it back to Thursday's show, Dan Quinn is not the benchmark for Mike Seymour. It's not, hey, is he better statistically than Dan Quinn? It's not about that. It's really just like the rest of the Cowboys season, about what can he do in January in such a matchup versus such an offense uh, like a Chanahan-esque offense, which is what you're going to face if you get to January football again in 2024. Because, uh, man, if you make it to the playoffs, you're likely going to see either the, the Niners or you're going to see the Rams or you're going to see the Packers again, and you better have a better plan than whatever you had with Dan Quinn versus the Green Bay Packers. And I understand there's some questions there about maybe uh, Stephon Gilmore's injury forcing the Cowboys' hand to play more zone coverage. But, man, we, we better see more man coverage uh, when the time comes again for such a game uh, next year. Now, Dallas will have a chance to prove it, you know, in the regular season, of course, because they're going to face the Niners, for instance, in the regular season. That is guaranteed now. Uh, since the season ended. So, yeah, there you go. Let's see what you guys have to say, though, in the chat. Isidro says, I believe Cowboys Nation was fortunate to land Simmer. I hope he hits the ground running, he says. And that that is going to be a big aspect of how we evaluate and how we look back on the Mike Simmer uh, hire. There's, there's an adaptation process when you hire a new coach at a coordinator position or a head coaching position, right? You come in with different ideas, things take time. Players talk a lot about how when you learn a system, you're suddenly not thinking about 
what you're doing, but you're just doing it, right? That is the benefit of sticking with a scheme over an extended period of time. By year two, year three, you're no longer thinking. You're just doing. You're just executing. You're not going through the whole process of thinking while you're in the actual play. Like that cognitive load, maybe it's a little bit more automized once you learn the system properly. So how does that learning curve look for the Cowboys in 2024 is going to be massive because you can go through some ups and downs during the regular season. Again, 2024 will not be about the regular season for Dallas, but if that learning curve, you know, if you're at the right spot, if you're at the right spot by January, that is going to be a massive W. So I, I agree with everybody see that in, in the fact that, hey, I hope he hits the ground running. But I also think we better we better get ready for an, a learning curve. If that learning curve hits the right spot by December, January, you might be in a, in a perfect stop. In, in the perfect spot, excuse me. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Now, regarding the Super Bowl, I do think those are the biggest lessons. I think there is something to be said about Andy Reid. And, and I'm not saying that the Cowboys need an Andy Reid because it's like saying that, hey, they need a Patrick Mahomes. Sure, 31 other NFL teams also could use a Patrick Mahomes on their team, right? Uh, Patrick is the best QB in the NFL. So I don't think there's a lesson there. But with Andy Reid specifically, and with the Chiefs in general, I think we witnessed something yesterday that I'm not sure that the Cowboys have in Mike McCarthy. There's a lot of good that Mike McCarthy did in 2023 and has done since he arrived in Dallas. Because you don't get to three 12-win seasons just by the art of magic. And however, as good as he was calling plays in 2023, his first season doing so for Dallas, I'm not sure if he has that skill like Andy Reid proved to have where you're being stopped by a good defense, which the Chiefs were uh, yesterday, but you're slowly figuring out the Rubik's Cube. You know, first three quarters of football were not pretty at all. By halftime, Travis Kelsey had one yard and one catch, and he was pissed at Andy Reid, and we saw that viral clip and everything. They were slowly solving that Rubik's Cube. And when it mattered the most, the Chiefs were able to go on a 12-play drive for 69 yards and a field goal in the fourth quarter. They followed that up with an 11-play drive, 64 yards, and another field goal. And then in overtime, they had a 13-play drive, 75 yards for a touchdown. So I just look at that, and I'm like, you know, they slowly were figuring out and figuring it out and figuring it out. So... I'm just saying, man, I'm not sure the Cowboys have that at their coaching position. Now, again, it's Andy Reid. It's something different. But, man, something that at least you got to admire. At least we got to bring it up and talk about it. McCarthy might be a good play caller. I'm not sure if he's somebody that gives you that game day advantage. And he's great, like, building a culture and building the locker room and all that. I think he's done a great uh, you know, job of it. 
I think it's a huge reason why he's still around, right? People have talked about the player input, and it seems like everyone had great input for Mike McCarthy, great feedback for the front office. So he might be great in all that, but does he have something on game day that is really an advantage? Because I think if you look at 2023, the biggest calling card for him would be his play calling, right? He gave us the best football that we've seen from Dak Prescott in his NFL career, yet we didn't see it in January. And the play calling was not the same as it was during that streak of games where they were just destroying NFL defenses week in and week out. And it was not the same because you were not running a lot of motion. You were somewhat predictable with some of the concepts. And the Packers were on top of it all. So I'm just saying, man, it's one of those things where I'm like, oof. I'm not sure how that looks like moving forward. And if that is uh, the type of Super Bowl game day coach that you would want on your team. Now, Cam says McCarthy's bad at clock management. We know there's a game day disadvantage, right? Like piggybacking off of what Cam just said right now. So just a thought, just a thought. I don't want to be, uh, you know, a downer or anything like that. But just watching that game yesterday was like, man, the Chiefs are not going away. This was supposed to be their worst season uh, in recent memory after they they've been dominating the NFL offensively speaking since 2018. Tyreek Hill goes away last year and they didn't bat an eye. And then in this one, it started to maybe be felt a little bit more and they were still fine at the end of the day. They still had somebody at wide receiver who stepped up in Rasheed Rice. Maybe didn't have a great game on, on, on Sunday. He was one catch away from cashing, by the way. He's Prop bets, I had an over of six and a half, and he only had six. Uh, but, you know, they've, they've got something as long as Travis kills. He's around, and Rasheed Rice going into his second year is, is uh, definitely promising and all that. But, yeah, man, other than that, Super Bowl thoughts, man, before we get out of here, what do you make? Let me know in the chat. I want to I wanna get your thoughts. What do you make out of the coin toss thing? Was Kyle Shanahan right? to receive the ball or was he not right because let me tell you man there's been some controversy surrounding that call and it's gotten so loud that honestly it surprised me so let me know what do you make out of that out of the coin toss do you think it was wrong do you think it was right or do you think it was honestly irrelevant because i've got a strong take here that i'm about to drop and I've seen shows discuss it. I've seen outraged analysts blast Kyle Shanahan for it. I think even my bosses, shout out to my bosses over at ADC Sports Nashville. They, their, their live stream this morning was called, and I, I'll admit I got to, you know, hear it before I, I, I am fully, you know, aware that that is what they were talking about, but they had one that was called 49ers commit coaching malpractice in the Super Bowl, most critical moment. Let's see what you guys have to say. Mark Aaron says, I would have kicked. Cam says he did the right thing. So, you know, not a, not a, not a very, like, you know, uh, strong take either or. I honestly believe 
it's quite literally a coin toss between those two possible decisions. There's ESPN mathematical models that give you a 50% chance of winning whatever you do, regardless of what you do. And you look at the why and the theory behind it, and it makes sense, right? If I ask for the ball first under the new postseason rules or overtime, which guarantee that each team is going to have a possession, then there's somewhat of a controversy there on what should I do if I win the coin toss, right? But if I, if I kick the ball, my advantage is all about knowledge and information. It's all about knowing what I need. And in this case, we saw it with the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs were going to ask to kick it, by the way, if they had won the coin toss. They've revealed that since then. And we know now that when Fred Warner and Patrick Mahomes were sitting at midfield waiting for that coin to drop, it was going to be a Chiefs kick no matter what because the Chiefs were going to call for the ball and the Chiefs were going to ask to kick it. So we know that now. The Chiefs kick, Niners score a field goal. And what I mean with the information and the knowledge is that now the Chiefs know I need a touchdown. And how did that manifest itself? Fourth and one, going for it. Not even a thought, we got to go for it. We got to go for the touchdown to win this game. Specifically, because a field goal makes it sudden that for, uh, and the Niners have the ball, right? Which that leads me to the advantage. If you call for the ball, if I ask to receive the ball, which the Niners did, then I know that if we get to a third possession, right? If you score, if I score a touchdown, you score a touchdown, and we're tied, then I get the, the ball. I get the ball third, and I've got sudden death, right? I've got the sudden death edge. That sounds like a powerful thing to have. But then I'm not sure there's a big difference between the two. So I think both advantages are very unique, which is probably why these mathematical models have win probability coming out at 50%, whatever you do. I love how much of the attention has shifted towards that decision because it's unprecedented for us. We had never been in that position before in NFL history because it's a new rule. Didn't work out for the Niners, but that was that the issue, the decision from Kyle Shanahan at the coin toss, or was it the fact that they didn't score a touchdown? I, I think it's the latter. Not only that, but they were this close to having a three and out after asking for the ball. It was only because of Trent McDuffie's holding that they moved the chains in that first few set of downs that, that they had in overtime. So... Yeah, I think I think it's not. I think it's not a, a an outrageous decision from Shanahan. I've also seen a lot be made about the fact that th there was a the ringer piece on this. If you want to read it, I do recommend it. Uh, where they were pointing out that the Chiefs players knew what the plan was, like they had prepared for it during the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. They had actually talked about, hey. You know, if we get to overtime, this is what we're going to do. And players were well aware about the rules and all that. They even knew that they were going to go for it too. So if they if they got the ball and they scored the touchdown, they were going to go for it too. And I like the logic of this because if you want to avoid the receiving team from having the sudden dead advantage that we talked about, 
then the second team could go for two and win the game right there. So trying to counter that, the Chiefs would have gone for two had they scored the first touchdown because that way they know the Niners have to go for two and then they do get the third possession and they do get the edge out of sudden death. It might have gotten confusing there a little bit, but it does make sense what the Chiefs were trying to do. Anyways, the Niners, meantime, meanwhile, uh, were seemingly not very familiar with how the rules work. And, and a lot of people have put Cal Chanahan on blast for that as well. A lot of people have been like, hey, how can they not know? That is poor coaching, blah, blah, blah. It's really not. I don't need my fullback, and I mentioned the fullback because Kyle Jushik was the one who had juicy quotes about this. I don't need my fullback strategizing on the sideline. That's not his job. As long as Kyle Chanahan knows, the coaching staff knows, and the analytics department who are probably helping out Kyle Chanahan some way, somehow on game day know, that's all that I care about. So yeah, I just, I just, I just don't think that is something that uh, is, it's fair to hate on him. Uh, four. Now, it was a third Super Bowl with a blown lead, double-digit blown lead. Uh, third Super Bowl that Shanahan has been involved that something like that has happened, including the year where he was the offensive coordinator for, for the Falcons and then Queens team that they blew the 28-3 lead versus the New England Patriots. But if we're going to put him on blast, let's put him on blast for how he managed timeouts at before halftime. Right, this is not new for Chanahan. He's always been scared at leading up to halftime, and he's not always very aggressive with it because he just doesn't want to risk turning the ball over. We could criticize him for that. We could criticize him for his offense going three for twelve on third down, or for him maybe not running the ball a little bit more often in the third quarter, or that sort of stuff. Right, that offense got to the red zone only twice all game long. It was two red zone trips in five quarters of football. So that's what you should criticize Kyle Chanahan for. I don't, I don't think the overtime coin toss is what should be putting him on blast. That's just my thought, though, for the Super Bowl. A lot of bloopers in the Super Bowl. I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, I know I, I love a defensive showdown as much as the next guy, right? However... However, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of bloopers going on early on in the game. The Kirsten McCaffrey fumble, yeah, good defensive play and all that. But, hey, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there was a Pacheco drop. There was a Pacheco fumble also near the end zone. Some weird stuff maybe, uh, but it sure picked up, and it sure became one of the most fun Super Bowls that I've ever watched uh, in the second half. Man, when, when it was headed, when, when Patrick Mahomes had the ball with two minutes to go, I was hyped. Like, I had zero emotional investment on that one. And I was jumping around the living room and, and at the border of the seat. And, man, it was exciting times. Exciting football. Cam says, did the right thing to receive because I think they would have happened how it happened to the 49ers. SLH says, Kansas City had such an impressive playoff run. Plus the Super Bowl. SLH is onto something here. Miami Dolphins at home. And then you go on the road versus Buffalo, on the road versus the Baltimore Ravens, and then you beat the San Francisco 49ers. In the year where everyone had ruled you out, 
Big part of that has to do with Rasheed Rice's rise, man. Big part of it. Because there was a time this season where it was Travis Kelsey or nothing. And Rasheed Rice started to show up. And I've said this before, but man, he was number one in the NFL in EPA per target versus zone coverage among players with a minimum of 50 targets at one point. So not a great game maybe in the Super Bowl. Could have had a touchdown had it not been because of the center botching a snap near near the end zone. And it's the one that Patrick Mahomes picks it up from the ground and then just tosses it away. Rasheed Rice is wide open on that one. But Mahomes is like, let me get rid of the ball right now. Now, Ron says, but at least they made the Super Bowl. Oh, 100%, man. 100%. Uh, Cowboys fans, and I include myself here, like, I would, I, I wish I had three Super Bowl appearances witnessed, right? Absolutely true. Yet, there's something enjoyable about the fact that two things can be so different yet so similar at once, right? Because, hey, we're both gunning for three decades now. <laughs> Both the Niners and the Cowboys are gunning for three decades. <laughs> and, 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 hey, there's, there's something enjoyable about that. There's something enjoyable about that. Shout out to Cam, man. Shout out to Cam in the chat. You, I got you. I got you. He says, Mo, you said it right because I butchered that typing. He says, hey, no, I didn't even notice, man. No worries. Gregory says, Mo, as far as the way San Francisco defense played in the game, I would have took the ball first and trusted my defense, says Gregory. Yeah, man. I think there was a tweet from Seth Walder from ESPN, which said, like, if there is somebody who feels strongly one way or the other, they're probably wrong. Like, it's truly a coin toss. Think about this. The NFL got together after that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes playoff duel where both teams were just exchanging punches and overhands near the end of the game. And that was the game where they were like, all right, next time that we're in this situation, the other QB is getting the ball, right? Like that is, that is a, a must moving forward. And they had to figure out a way to make it a fair game, to make it to where the coin toss winner or the coin toss loser didn't have a, a major advantage. And they came up specifically with this way of doing things. And honestly, I, I think they nailed it. I do think they nailed it. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that will be it for me tonight here on the show. We are headed for the offseason. That means that we're going to have to be very smart about our topics moving forward. You know what that means, right? Not going to be able to get into everything every show because it's a long offseason, man. And I'm excited for it. Free agency is up next. And then, sure, we've got the NFL draft, and we'll do our best to mix and match. But I think we're going to talk about free agency a whole lot here in the next few days. And then there's the NFL scouting combine coming up. It's going to be exciting times, ladies and gentlemen. Hit the like button for me, and I'll see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Central. Thanks so much. Nos vemos mañana. Bye-bye.